We're going to be in Psalm uh, 33 today, but I've kind of flipped how the layout is. So I'm going to build everything kind of just where I'm going, which is the heart of God to know and be known, and then we'll end in Psalm 33. But here's my three points. The first one is, to have the heart of God is to have the mind of Christ. My second point is, the heart of God with the mind of Christ is holiness. And then lastly, Jesus is the fullness of God made tangible because it is God's heart to know and be known. All right? And I think we'll play that out in, um, we'll see that in Psalm 33. But here's, let me expound on my three points. The first, to have the heart of God is to have the mind of Christ. To have the heart of God is to have the mind of Christ. So what, what I mean by that is that what we believe, how we believe or, or live out the gospel must be tethered to how God loves and how Jesus thinks. There's a connection there, right? And it's about how for, that connection is for our lives, for others, and for our interaction in this world. There's, there's no separating that, right? You can't have one or the other. And what happens when we do separate or just target one or the other, then our theology and why we serve and how we serve unravels. When we focus on one aspect or the other, whether we're like, I need to go hard after the heart of God, right? Or I need to go hard after the mind of Christ because I want to think like Jesus uh, thinks, right, or how he thoughts. What I'm saying is that to do one over the other misrepresents the fullness or the wholeness and wonder of Jesus. Right? We are not just to gain information and knowledge of who God is, but understand how he works and serves and loves. And so Jesus thinks a certain way, and that leads him to serve in a certain way. Right? That's why his life, when we read through the scriptures, it's very other. It's different. It's set apart, even from like our nature and how we do things naturally. And so here's an example I want to pull out, right? You look at John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, that tells us that that's his heart, right? And it, then it also tells us that he wants us back to himself with no condition, but our sin keeps us separated from him, right? Because the law has to be uh, perfectly fulfilled, right? The debt has to be paid. And so the only logical thing, right, this is going to lead us to this part two of that verse, right, is the mind of uh, of God to take care of the problem by himself, for himself. Right? So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so Jesus says, I am the only solution. So you get the heart of God with the mind of Christ in that one statement. The only logical thing for me to do is to fulfill the Old Testament myself so that I can fulfill, God, your heart, Father, your heart, to have everybody to it. I got this. Paul tells us to be transformed by what the renewing of our minds so that we can be living sacrifices. You know, think a different way and then that motivates you to do something. And then he also tells us in Philippians 2 that to have the mind of Christ is a loving heart. 
And so when we understand that God has our best interests in mind, right, by conforming us to his glory, we will understand that we will, uh, that what we do in life should stem from a loving God. And so when we study the theologies or we study these principles or when you look at principles that we've been talking uh, throughout all of these, the multifaceted gospel, right, we've been looking at the gospel differently. We've been doing that intentionally, showing you, trying to uh, have you think differently so that your heart is changed and you hear this good news and you do something with this good news for yourself, but also how you interact with the world. So that's why we're giving you this multifaceted look at a multifaceted gospel. And when we look at the gospel and understand the gospel, when we think differently and our heart is motivated differently, we won't think the same or we won't react the same that we normally do, that our natural man would normally react in. We will see the work and the process and the extent of being, again, as, as Paul says, living sacrifices to an eternal degree. Like we'll have eternal lenses when we think like God and interact with the heart of God. And so someone actually two weeks ago, someone asked me this question after I preached. They said, how much should we be willing to relationally and financially lose if we're going to be living and thinking like Jesus? It was an honest question. How much am I willing to financially lose? How much should we lose? To which I responded with, everything. And they were like, really? I, I kid you not. I thought I was like a moment with the rich young ruler there. But I said everything. Because Then I asked him, I said, what did God, right, what has Jesus withheld from us? Nothing. So if that's how Jesus interacts with us, then how much more so should we give to others, right? The heart of God gets bigger and richer as we begin to think and process through life with a depth and wonder of the mind of Christ. And so John, in his description of Jesus in the first chapter of, of John 14, he says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me give you my second point, and I'll connect grace and truth there. The second point is the heart of God with the mind of Jesus is holiness. Remember, you're not targeting one or the other. You're not separating the Son from the Father, right? You're getting this fullness of God. The heart of God with the mind of Jesus is holiness. So when the Bible says God is holy, that Jesus is holy, or the Holy Spirit, right? Because we don't get his name. We know he's the Holy Spirit. The context of holiness that I'm speaking in is in the context of that verse 14 of John. The grace and truth of Jesus. The fullness of who he is. And so grace is the heart of God. It's love, compassion, it's kindness, all of that, right? Truth is the mind of Jesus. Justice, knowledge, righteousness, perfection, sinlessness, and the, and the like. And so grace and truth in that process, right? When you have a grace and truth process, it helps you process the most excellent way to know God and be known by God. 
A lot of times we look at holiness, right, and we think of holiness, and I understand that holiness is a lofty and like this excellent characteristic of God, but I'm telling you here in this context, it's the unification of grace and truth. This is the heart and mind of God, and that's what sets him apart from every other God or every other idol or every other self-proclaimed ideal of life. Right? For holiness, it means to be set apart. What sets him apart is how he thinks and how he loves. The grace and the truth that he gives. The unification of that in Jesus. And I think that this holiness is attainable for us by transformations of our mind. When we think like Jesus... We will love like Jesus. When we extend grace like Jesus, we'll speak truth like Jesus. And this is the setting apart of ourselves from the world. That's that set apart. That's what, right, we're we're, we're not this anymore. We are that for God. We were this, but now we are here. We were in the kingdom of light, but God saved us. Or we're in the kingdom of darkness, but God saved us from that. Place us in the kingdom of light. Separation. I think that sometimes that's scary and it can be frustrating because not only does it separate us from our, the world, I think sometimes it separates us from family and friends. And so it gets frustrating. But denying and dying to ourselves, it's not an easy process. And so this process of holiness, though, it doesn't mean that you, know, like, you start to disown life and live a, a reclusive life. That's not holiness. That's loneliness. Right? That's not what Jesus did. But it's a separation from everything that we have known or thought or grew up in, right? An, a, a temporal, earthly lens. We're not having an eternal lens. So things are going to start to shift. So grace and truth is the heart and mind. It's never one or the other, but it's both and. Because just as Jesus received the fullness of God and has given us the fullness of God by his Holy Spirit, we receive grace and truth and extend grace and truth in every interaction, in every thought process. There should be a level of grace and truth. And in doing so, we're set apart as different or as holy or as consecrated to God. So to have the heart of God is to have the mind of Christ the heart of God with the mind of Christ is holiness. I've got an illustration that I want to pop up that I'll expand more in, in big church. But it's when, and here's the thing is that I believe when we begin to compartmentalize our faith, right, like put our faith in these different boxes or with our conversations or our interactions, we end up talking about God in a very linear, one-dimensional way and we miss out on the fullness of God. Partly because we're trying to reframe how we talk about God, right, how we interact with God and others. On the other hand, I think it's because just in our sin nature and in our, like, finite nature, we can't always fully grasp the fullness of God, right? Like, so in our state, we're like, I see God as this. But here, let me explain. So here's God, right? Complete. There's not a starting point. He's eternal. He's complete by himself and of himself, right? 
So it's represented by this no beginning, unending circle. And so here's what I'm, what I'm saying when I talk about linear or one-dimensional. Typically, when we talk about God and process how he does things or how we should do things, we say things like God loves, right? And God is loving. And in another moment, like God uh, shows grace and he is gracious. And then in another moment, we say, you know, God is merciful, right? Or he shows mercy. Or he's just and he's good. Or just kind, right? Or he's charitable. He's understanding, right? We talk about him being sympathetic or righteous, right? Sinless, of course. All these things are all true, but they're they're really linear in thinking, right? Because we're just focused on that one target. What I'm saying, when you're grasping the fullness of God and the context of the fullness of the gospel, you'll start to see that God's interaction with us and God's interaction with everybody else, it's really like a full dance. It's rich, it's deeper, it's complex. And so by this picture, what I wanted you to see is that if you tug on one string like love, you're not just tugging or plucking away on one string, you're strumming on the fullness of God. There's a song to be sung, right? That's so much richer when you hear a full strum through a guitar, when you hear full keys and notes played on the keyboard, when you hear the harmony of singing, you hear the music, you enjoy the arts. And so that's why some people, I think, get caught up when we're evangelizing through the gospel. Yeah, but all these rules and the do nots, and, and they don't understand that, yes, while God is just, he also loves. We're not just plucking on the one string. You're strumming on the fullness and the wholeness of God. And so really, in my understanding, just to give a counteract of this picture, God is more like a Celtic knot. That's a stark difference, right? It's weaved. It's intricate. It loops and flows. There's movement you can see it. You can feel it, right? God's like an Arabic mandala or a kaleidoscope. Remember as a kid, as a kaleidoscope, you would look through, you see the prism, you see the light. It shifts, it changes, right? There's an awe there. And I understand, like, my illustration is going to fall apart because I'm trying to grasp the fullness of God. I get that. But I hope that you can see that there's a fuller picture when we talk about God, when we engage the Lord. And with that, he allows us to engage other others with his fullness because he's given us the full Holy Spirit. We're not just tapping into it. I need more faith right now. No, he's given you all the faith you need. You just got to walk in it. Walk in and bask yourself in the glory of God because we've been given the fullness of God by Christ. And then Christ sent the fullness of the Holy Spirit to all of us, and that's residing within us. And so we get the mind of Christ and the heart of God the grace of God, and the truth of Jesus. It's a drastic difference. And I think a little bit, you look at these things or like back to like the kaleidoscope, and there's an awe, but sometimes you get a headache looking through it at the mandalas, at the geometric shapes, and I think that's okay because we're not meant to grasp the fullness of God. He's bigger than we are, right? But, The fullness of God and the complexity of God is known and understood and made tangible by Jesus. 
before Jesus was like, or God was like this distant thing in the past, right? You read in the scriptures of the Old Testament, like people couldn't go up to the mountain. They, they were like, Moses, you go. There's lightning and like thunder and I don't know what's happening in clouds. And there was a disconnect there. But then enters Christ, the fullness of Jesus. So my third point is Jesus is the fullness of God made tangible, approachable, safe, Because it's God's heart to know and be known. God wants to know you and individual people, and God wants all of us to know who he is. And so when we embrace the gospel and understand the gospel and understand and embrace the fullness of Jesus in grace and truth for ourselves and for others and for the world, we fall in love with a good God that has our best interests in mind and is calling us to a true life, not just some linear walk. The fullness of God in Jesus made a way for us to have no hindrances to God. That's the gospel. We get to enter in. So there's no longer a need to feel alone, right? or to fight and struggle on our own, or even to enjoy the fullness of life on our own. Like, we get to enjoy it together. We get to be a part of this diverse family. And so we get to pray, like, God, yes, you live in unapproachable light, yet here I am swimming in your glory because of Jesus. We can interact with that God, that holy God, because of Jesus. And God's heart is to know you personally and be known globally. He's that tangible and that big at the same time. This is where we get led into Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, I I, I see all of this captured in poetic form. This is why I love poems, because poems, I think, grasp these big concepts and makes it tangible, representing a masterpiece an art form, right? So Psalm 33, I hope you're there. It says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. I think worship comes forth when we grasp the heart and mind of Christ. You're called righteous. We are called upright. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. I hope you hear that, like, that grace and truth there, that heart and truth and mind there. Verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts them deep into storehouses. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him because he is holy, right? For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything that they do. God's great, God's transcendent, and yet knows you personally. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord, the the same God that created the heavens, right, and the starry hosts back in in verse 6 and gathers the waters, right, and the deeps into storehouses in verse verse 7, the eyes of that God are on those who fear him and on those who hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive from famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our shield and our help. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. And I love verse 22. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Jesus is the fullness of God made tangible because it is God's heart to know and be known. And so that's what we get to do. We have been given the fullness of God in Christ. And he gave us the fullness of God on the cross in grace and truth. The heart of God, the mind of Christ. And he says it's an unfailing love. He gives us his Holy Spirit and then he sends us to share that with others. A lot of things, times our hang-ups, right, are because we're trying to keep God in that linear box rather than trying to take a step back and see a bigger picture. Pray through grasping a bigger picture. Pray that the Holy Spirit unveils a bigger picture. Even how you interact and have conversations with people who are kind of like, yeah, but... Help them see that there's a bigger picture, a Celtic knot, if you will. Not just these random, linear, geometric, right, boxes. Make sense? The fullness of God in Christ. He's made himself tangible. And then I don't know why, but he says, I want you to go represent me. (laughs) But we're here. You get to interact with others, hug others, listen to others, share meals with others, right? Be a tangible presence of God where you live, work, learn, and, and play. Father God, thank you so much for your time. The fact that you're transcendent, but you're not indifferent or unattainable, Father. You've given us Jesus. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for being a God that wants to know and be known. Thank you for your unfailing love, your continual faithfulness when when I'm not faithful, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that we get to be a church family that gets to love and serve on others, whether it's in Hope Kids 
or uh, guest services or pouring coffee, whatever it is, Lord, just thank you that we get to be here. A listening ear, a tangible presence of you now because of the Holy Spirit that you've given us. So, God, you're in our midst. I pray this evening that people's hearts and minds are open and ready to receive your word. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.